Tactical sports take. Inbound. Who the fuck is that guy? Beat him off. Stomp on his head as he's unconscious. Five-tool commentator. <laughs> he's the Willie Mays of sports <laughs> broadcasting. It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Owen Ely Show. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at NorthstarMIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthstarSports.media. And welcome into the show, everyone. We've got a great one for you today here on uh, this Saturday, October 2nd, as we look to recap UFC 266, Volkanovski versus Ortega. And uh, as always, great to be back with you guys. A lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. I know it's a week later, but, you know, I've really had time to sit here and digest my takes. So, you know, just know that you're going to get very refined opinions today because of the uh, lateness of the recap. Almost so late that we've had another UFC card in between. But we'll have the, the preview show uh, well, if you're listening to this, the preview show is probably out, but, you know, I gotta bang out two shows here, but that's, uh, irrelevant for you guys, but, um, great card, uh, potentially the, the, the card of the year, honestly, right now, I, I would say that's, uh, card of the year, uh, I forget which fight night, we had a really good fight night, I'd, I'd have to go back, so it's not worth, uh, pondering it right now, but there's a really awesome fight night card, uh, a few months ago, but, you know, I think this one with, you know, all due respect to uh, having two months, and I think we have two pay-per-views back-to-back uh, weeks, because we'll have one in Abu Dhabi and then one in uh, America. But this is this is probably the card of the year, so a, a very, very fun card. Uh, we did have updated rankings, uh, and... and probably the most updates we've made to the rankings outside of just like random retooling or not random but you know retooling our our uh, rankings uh you know a lot of ranked fights uh we also had the main card showdown i beat drew i think i knocked him out in the second round or maybe third round or something you know mailman's just you know on another dominant streak you know what can you do but um yeah i think that's just about all the housekeeping we have. We'll try to keep this uh, somewhat brief, uh, and uh, you know we'll start here with the main event. We had Alexander Volkanovsky defending his featherweight title uh, against Brian Ortega. Um, a lot of people are saying fight of the year. That's kind of an interesting uh, discussion because there are two fight of the year contenders on this card, and we'll get to another one uh, in, in in a few minutes. But it's kind of weird saying that this main event was fight of the year because it wasn't really close. You know, a lot of the times a fight of the year might be a split decision or, you know, it's either way you score it, it's 48-47. You know, uh, Paul Felder and Dan Hooker, you know, a fight like that comes to mind. Uh, Hooker versus Poirier. Really, Dan, any Dan Hooker fight, but, um, you know... Uh, Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald, 
Now, he did end up finishing him, but if that would have gone to a decision, I mean, Lawler probably would have won 48-47, but, you know, either way, you, you think of really close fights. This fight really wasn't that close. It was pretty dominant. Uh, Volkanovski at least won four rounds. I'm going to say he won four rounds. Uh, I And I'd probably give Ortega the fifth. Although even that's that's pretty close as well. So it might have... Some people... I wouldn't blame people if they scored it a clean sweep for Volkanovski. Um, but there were moments in that fight, particularly in the third round, with the very deep guillotine and very deep, or somewhat deep, uh, triangle choke, where it's like, wow, Ortega nearly won that fight. He really did. But outside of that, he just got fucking beat up. He just got beat up. So it's, it's kind of weird saying that's a fight of the year. You know... That being said, I, I think it's a fight of the year contender, but it's not going to win fight of the year, which is so weird to say that. Like, it's so weird to say something is a contender, but you can definitively say it's not going to win it. But that's kind of how I feel about it. You know, it's a, it's a fight of the year in terms of, and I guess that would it's very subjective because what is a fight of the year? Is it is it just a close fight? Is it a dominant fight? I mean, because this is this is dominant. This wasn't close, but moments were very close. So. You know, I, I think it's it was a very exciting fight. It really showed the the well-roundedness and just dominance of Alexander Volkanovsky. And I've been saying this for a long time, but you'll, you'll have a lot, bunch of fucking dummies in the media being like, man, Volkanovsky needs more respect. Wow, what a great performance from Volkanovsky. Dude, I've been saying Volkanovsky is the greatest featherweight uh, or the best featherweight since he beat Holloway the first time. I didn't think him beating Holloway the first time was a fluke. And then he beat him a second time, so clearly it's not a fluke. So it's like, I've I've thought he's been pretty fucking good the entire time. So anybody who's, like, new to the Volkanovski train, it's like, yeah, he's been champion for, you know, a little bit of time here. Like, we've known and, you know, pretty much dominated Jose Aldo as well. So it's like, yeah, you're, if, if you're talking about Volkanovski, but I, I mean, I don't disagree. He needs more respect. But anybody who's like, wow, that was an eye-opening performance, yeah, not really. Not fucking really. It was a tremendous performance. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't eye-opening. We knew that he could fucking do this. So it's like, whatever. And I, I, I always take things a step further towards reality. Volkanovski is the greatest featherweight of all time. There's no two ways about it. He beat Jose Aldo, who's the third greatest featherweight of all time. He beat Max Holloway twice, who's the second greatest featherweight of all time. So, and that's factoring in my statement that Volkanovski is the greatest. You know, outside of Volkanovski, it's one and two. So, you know, hasn't lost in 20 fights. Uh, so, I don't know. We and, and you'll see that in our, our rankings. Like, we have Volkanovski at number three. Number three in pound for pound. So, it's like, yeah, like, he's, he's pretty fucking good. Like, we, you know, we haven't been sleeping on him. We've been telling everybody how good Volkanovski's been for uh, a long time. You know, that being said, um, you know, impressive performance on the, on the ground against Brian Ortega. That's, you know, you figure that's the one way Ortega's going to win is getting the fight to the ground. Um, but, you know, amazing striking, just destroyed him. I mean, name a better combination than Brian Ortega in getting intense brain damage in a title fight. I mean, really, there's no better. Chocolate and peanut butter, I guess, is probably a better combo than that. But, you know, short of, short of that, I mean, that's the greatest combination of all time. You know, Brian Ortega just getting curb stomped in a title fight but um you know very very entertaining so you know you listen to uh, Volkanovsky wanting to be 
more active. I think it has been pretty, un, you know, un, unfortunate. Um, his inactivity, you know, what is it? He had the hand surgery, and then this fight was supposed to t- take place like six months ago. You know, it was supposed to take place in March. So, you know, a bit unfortunate. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Volkanovski up at lightweight. It would depend on the matchup. Really, I, really, it should be for the title. Really, it should be for the title. So the timeline's not going to work out um, unless Oliveira wins, maybe. Because if, if, if Oliveira beats Poirier, I could see him turning around pretty quick. He's a pretty active fighter. But even then, the timelines just don't really work out. I mean, you're talking about like two and a half months difference. And then by that time, Yair uh, and, and Max Holloway will have happened again. So, yeah, you know. But Volko's a big guy. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's a very big guy, so I don't think he'd be undersized at um, at lightweight. He's got a very big frame. But, uh, you know, i just like to see him more active. It really doesn't matter who it's against. You know, I see a lot of people talking about, and I wouldn't be opposed to this, and I think if he wins, it's the fight to make, you know, the trilogy fight. But it's very hard to sell a trilogy fight when you've lost the first two times. But, you know, Volkanovski, without a doubt, is the best featherweight on the planet. Without a doubt, the number two featherweight on the planet, on the planet is Max Holloway. So the fight makes sense, but for any, you know, for anybody who's who's being like, we have to see that. There's, n- we have to see it. Well, we we really don't. This has been settled. You know, Volkanovski's beaten him twice. The really interesting part about that trilogy is w- what happens if Max wins. We're going straight to four, right? Because Volkanovski won the first two times. If Holloway beats him the third time. How the, how the fuck can you not say, well, I beat you the first two times. Like, we have to go... We would immediately get an immediate rematch. We would get, you know, Holloway versus Volkanovski 4. So it's like, I don't know, it's kind of a messy uh, situation. But, you know, it speaks to the stagnation of the featherweight top 7. Top 7 or 8. You know, just nobody fights. Nobody fights. Yair... You know, it's kind of crazy to think if Yair beats Max Holloway, he gets a title shot. In in, in one sense, you know, Holloway's really good, so that would, that would make sense. But this dude is f- so fucking inactive. And really, Yair's never done anything in his career. He's, you know, he has one good win over um, uh, the Korean Zombie. But outside of that, he's done nothing. The Korean Zombie's not even that active, although he's, by, by top seven featherweight standards, you know, he's basically Cowboy Cerrone at this point. You know, Brian Ortega's fought three times in three or four years and, you know, gotten the shit stomped out of him in two of those fights. Uh, Josh Emmett, he tore his ACL, so you got to give him some slack, but he hasn't fought, you know, in, in quite some time. So it's like, and, and Calvin Cater is going to be on ice for quite some time after, you know, I haven't heard a damn thing about Calvin Cater, you know, and what is it? He fought in January. So it's been nine months later and we've heard nothing about Cater other than, you know, he's not doing so hot after taking that beating from uh, Max Holloway, which is why we shouldn't let people take beatings like that. We should probably throw in the towel a little bit, uh, a little bit sooner. But uh, I guess we'll get into you know the the perfect example of not throwing in the towel uh, in a couple of fights. So you know, in one sense, it's weird because you know you want to give people the chance to uh, you know fight back, but kind of risk uh, permanent brain damage. So very impressive performance. For Brian Ortega, I don't know what's next for him. You know, just get some wins, be be more active. But he's probably going to be out for quite some time because, you know, he, he gets beat up uh, in a lot of his fights. 
Uh, Co-main event, we had Valentina Shevchenko knocking out Lauren Murphy in round four. Don't really have a whole lot to say on this one, you know, other than Lauren Murphy lasted longer than I thought. I would have thought round two, round three, she made it to round four. You know, good for her, but really, it's it's funny because that's, that's successful. That's being successful in the featherweight division, not getting finished in the first couple of rounds. I mean, that just speaks to the dominance of Valentina Shevchenko. You make it to round four, you know, that's... That's pretty damn good. Wow, what a feather in Lauren Murphy's cap. So, we've talked about this before with Shevchenko because she's very active. The only fight that makes sense is her and Amanda Nunes. It's one apiece. You're a dummy if you think that Nunes won that second fight, one of the worst robberies of all time. Um, But that's never going to happen. So, you know, you just hope that the winner of Rose and Wei Li comes up to to flyweight. Otherwise, there's nothing. There's nothing. You know, I saw a graphic of the flyweight top eight. Everybody in the top eight at flyweight has either already lost the title shot to Valentina Shevchenko or is on a losing streak. So who the fuck do you... Like, number nine would be, like, Macy Barber. Like, Macy Barber might have the best... No, she's on a... She lost as well. So, fucking, I don't know. Who the fuck... Miranda Maverick? Do we just throw Maverick to the fucking wolves? Like... I don't know, but it, I don't want to see Caitlin Chukagian get another title shot. She got dominated. She sh- Caitlin Chukagian should be banned from getting title shots in the UFC. I don't want to see her get get one. Like, Jessica Andrade almost makes the most sense. I know she was talking about going down, but I don't know. It, at least she has impressive finishes and has finishing power. But you know, she just got dominated like <laughs> you know, eight months ago. But it's like, damn, there's there's really nothing. I mean, it was a weak division to begin with, full of grifters from other weight classes. And, you know, in the three years, Shevchenko has been champ. Uh, she's cleaned it out multiple times over. I think maybe you look to Calderwood. Like, I don't know. If I was the UFC, I would I, I, next week I would make Calderwood versus a homeless woman and then just get Calderwood an easy win and give her a title shot. That's basically how that's going to have to go. All right, moving on to the featured bout. We had a round three TKO from retirement. uh, A win for Robbie Lawler over Nick Diaz, the much ballyhooed return of Nick Diaz. Uh, Didn't turn out very well for for old Nick Diaz. Um, I really didn't have a whole lot of interest in Nick Diaz returning. Um, Made Robbie Lawler look like a world champion. And keep in mind, Robbie Lawler hasn't won since UFC 214 in July of 2017. So, you know, Robbie Lawler was basically a, a, a zombie. He was a corpse just floating around in the, um, in the UFC's welterweight division. And, you know, Nick Diaz just made him look like, you know, he was a fucking Terminator. Uh, very bad performance from Nick Diaz. Probably shouldn't have fought. A lot of the stuff he said before and after the fight really made it seem like he shouldn't be fighting. Um, you know, he, his, his striking looked good. His boxing looked fine. But, uh, you know, he, he was throwing way too much, way too much, just kind of gassed out. Uh, and, you know, I think Robbie had a great game plan. Just move forward. You know, Nick Diaz is not known as a one-punch KO guy. You know, he's not... He's not um, Tyron Woodley. 
You know, he, he's not fucking Tiago Santos, so you can walk forward on him. And, you know, I thought it was a great game plan. You know, Robbie and the fights that he's lost in the last handful of years, it's because he backed up. I think Nick Diaz had the same strategy as Colby Covington, minus the, the you know, the takedowns. You know, just move forward and pepper him with a million shots. Robbie's going to, you know, bob back and forth, and, you know, you'll win an easy, you know, 25-minute decision. But, you know, Lawler kept moving forward, even if it meant eating punches. But the good thing about moving forward is that Diaz is always throwing off his back foot. So he's never throwing with full power. You know, he, he I don't know if he threw a power punch the entire fight. It was, it was incredible volume. It was a lot of strikes. But, you know, they were all two out of tens, maybe some three out of tens in there when it comes to power. But Robbie just ate him. He just ate him. And it doesn't even seem that hard to eat, you know. If he was eating five out of tens or six out of tens, you know, then, okay, that's impressive. You know, not that it wasn't an impressive performance from Lawler, but it's like, you know, you're just kind of jabbing him, trying to jab his face off. Robbie moved forward, hurt him a couple of times, dropped him. And then, uh, you know, Nick Diaz going out via retirement, going out like uh, Matt Sarah's brother, Nick Sarah, who uh, got knocked down and refused to get back up. You know, that's what they always tell you. That's what those children's books always tell you. You know, when you get knocked down, just stay down. Don't get back up. Just stay down. So, you know, Diaz going out like a warrior on his shield, getting knocked on his on his bumper, on his butt kiss, uh, his bump kiss or whatever old ladies say. And, uh, you know, just giving up. So you got to respect the warrior mentality of Nick Diaz just completely giving up in the middle of a fight. You know, absolutely the, the right decision. You know, Diaz Army, stand up. GED Army, stand up. People with room temperature IQs who are fans of uh, the Diaz brothers, stand up. Impressive performance, you know. Really, really going out like a warrior. Have uh, absolutely no interest in seeing Nick Diaz ever, ever step foot in any sort of combat sports role. Uh, I really don't have that much interest in Robbie Lawler, to be honest with you, but he, you know, whatever. He looked, he looked good and you know, I still think if he fights anybody approaching the the welterweight top fifteen, he he's gonna get worked over like he has like he has been. But you know, it's very modern. It was a very modern fight between Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz. You know what I mean? It's very. That's what today's fighting is all about: big names from fifteen years ago fighting at an advanced age and you know putting on a, a terrible performance. You know, that's really that's really the last couple of years. You know what I mean? That's this was the this was the UFC equivalent of fucking Evander Holyfield and and uh, Vitor Belfort. You know this is this is very thriller like of the UFC. You know that's that's what it is. We don't care about good fights today. We care about big names and senior citizens. That's what we care about. Uh, we, you know, and in Nick Diaz's case, he's both a big name and a senior citizen. So you know, really, it's a double whammy here from the UFC. You know, the UFC should not be in the business of doing shit like this. That's now I'm getting now I'm getting worked up. You know, that's a disgrace to the UFC to allow Nick Diaz to fight. Uh, you know, a, a black mark on the UFC. Leave this type of shit for Bellator. This is what this is this is Bellator's game plan. You know, that's that's why the biggest card in Bellator history. I think I think still is uh, Shamrock and Gracie. I think that's still the biggest card in Bellator history. So, and Bellator's doing a better job at not about not having, you know, old guys fight anymore. Like, well, I guess they have Yo Romero and but whatever. 
you know, I, I don't know. Bellator is starting to get some really good young talent. You know, like Yaroslav Amosov, um, fucking, I guess Gegard's still kicking around. Uh, MVP, who won, uh, who won last night, and he did win last night. Make no mistake about that. Uh, AJ McKee. Yeah, Pitbull's up there in age, but for for a, a, a featherweight and, and, and lightweight, but you know, I don't know. But, you know, Bellator's going in the right direction. The UFC still going in the right direction, but this is just kind of some bullshit distraction that I'm not not a fan of. All right, moving on to a boring fight here between Curtis Blades and Jairzinho Rosenstroik. Blades won this one uh, handedly. Solid performance from Curtis Blades. You know. A lot of people get frustrated with with Curtis uh, and his style. You know, I thought he I thought he he fought a smart game plan. That's what you got to do against Jairzinho. And it's it's kind of weird because a lot of people blame Curtis for how boring the fight was. The fight was boring because of Jairzinho. You know, it takes two to tango, but it's like we've seen this in his loss against Cyril Gaon, and I predicted we'd see it in this in this loss against Curtis Blades. He is a counterpuncher. That's all he is. That's all Jairzinho is. He's got good power, uh, and and he's somewhat good at, at, at counter counterpunching, but he's a guy who's always going to move backwards. He's never going to initiate offense. He doesn't have good cardio, and he is not good on the ground or, you know, stuffing takedowns. So he's a very limited fighter. So if you're Curtis Blades and you know this, you know, I can't blame him for fighting how he fought. He fought the smart fight, and, you know, it was a trap fight in a sense because Curtis Blades is supposed to win, and he won the fight. But it's a trap fight because it's very similar. Who else is a, is a powerful counterpuncher? Derek Lewis. You know, we just saw Curtis Blades get knocked the fuck out by Derek Lewis for not setting up takedowns. You know? That's all Derek Lewis was looking to do that entire fight. He even said so, is just wait until he shoots and just murder him with an uppercut or a knee or whatever, any kind of strike. So stylistically, it's a very similar fight, and he approached it the correct way. I think if he would have fought this way against uh, Derek Lewis, he probably would have beat him, probably would have beat him and probably would have got a title shot. Actually, I'm very certain he would have got a title shot. So, smart fight from Curtis Blades. If you're Jairzinho, you know, we said it after the gone fight, but dude, you gotta, you gotta fix something. You gotta fucking get a jab or something. Just, you have to find offense somewhere. You can't just sit there and do nothing. Because at the lower levels of, of the UFC, you probably can get away with doing that. You know, but if, if there's enough tape out on you and you do nothing and your input is a 1 out of 10... Actually, fuck it. It's a zero out of, zero out of ten. He does nothing. Then your opponent only has to have an input of two out of ten. If you're extremely inactive, I just have to throw four jabs and I've won the round. So he's an v- incredibly limited fighter, and he's gonna have to figure out a way to to work around that. Moving on to the women's flyweight division, we'll have a first round knockout by Jessica Andrade on Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, solid performance from Jessica Andrade. Always dangerous. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot to say on this one. I think Cynthia Calvillo is probably one of the most overrated fighters in the UFC, which is weird to say because nobody cares about her, but um, just extremely overrated. I don't know why she got this opportunity. You know, did not look ready. 
uh, I, I really don't think she's that good. And, you know, kind of got put in uh, her place on the totem pole by Jessica Andrade. So, you know, Andrade killing the flyweight division here. You know, it would have been great. It would have been great for the division if Calvillo had won that fight because then you could set up Shevchenko and Calvillo. And Calvillo would have been murdered in 40 seconds by Shevchenko, but, you know, it's a fresh face and it's on a winning streak. And, uh, you know, Andrade playing spoiler. All right, moving on to the prelim headliner, a uh, fight of the year contender here uh, between Marab Davalishvili and Marlon Marais. Again, you know, this is the second fight of the year contender on this card, which is why it's the best card of the year. Uh, but again, it's a contender, but I, d- I don't think it's going to win it. And and the reason why is it only lasted, uh, you know, two rounds, a little under two rounds. And it wasn't close. You know what I mean? It was not a close fight. It was, it, it was close for probably the th- first three minutes. Utter, absolute domination from Marlon Marais. We go to the to the to the first bell or I guess second bell and uh, come back and then it's just utter utter domination from Marab. Like it was it's so weird it wasn't close at all. There was no like crossfade in between the dominance. It was just literally pushing a button and and the tides flipped immediately. Uh, very interesting fight. It's going to give a lot of people a lot of fuel for saying, for, for the people being like, well, don't stop fights because uh, this could happen. This could happen. You know, most of the time, if you get beat up like Marab, you're either going to get finished or you're just going to continue to get dominated for the rest of the fight. But this was the handful of times it's an exception where Marab just powers through it and ends up finishing the fight. So. Uh, this was the exception, uh, but you know, Marab is the exception. He's exceptional. He's he's a tremendous fighter. I've I've been on his bandwagon for quite some time. I think he's undefeated in the UFC. I don't think he lost to Frankie Signs, and I think the loss to uh, Ricky Simone shouldn't have happened because uh, time had expired. So you know, this guy's undefeated as far as I'm concerned. You know, he's he's the machine. His nickname is is apt. You know, he's we just saw he has one hell of a chin. It's basically impossible to finish him. Uh, I like his striking. It's getting better, and and his cardio is probably the best in... Oh, fuck. There's some pretty good cardio in the UFC. I'm going to say it's top five cardio. A top five cardio. I'm still going to give it to, you know, Colby and probably a handful of other guys. Fucking Volkanovski. But Marab's in the top five for cardio. His cardio is fucking insane. And his wrestling's really good, and he's very active. Very, very active. So, just a tremendous performance. I don't know how he survived. And I'll tell you, he's lucky because a lot of refs would have stopped that. Now, we know what happened if it wasn't stopped. If it didn't stop, you know, the result that just happened, he would come back and win. But fuck me, there would have, there, there, you know, when he was getting just posted up on in the corner on the fence, a lot of referees would have stopped that. And I can't even blame him. I, I can't even blame him. Because most of the time, you're just going to get knocked out. And you're going to get knocked out in a bad way because you're just holding on. Just holding on. But that dude has a thick skull and just powered through it. I mean, that's a truly, truly inspiring performance from Marab. And then for Marlon, you know, I said this was a terrible fight for Marlon because not a lot of people know Marab. I guess they do now. 
but not a lot of people know him, but he's probably the toughest matchup in the bantamweight division. Honestly, because if you beat him, nobody cares. Nobody really knows who he is. But if you lose to him, well, nobody knows who he is. So you just lost to a guy who doesn't have a big name. But he's whether or not he has a big name or not, he's a tough fighter. You know what I mean? You lose to Dominic Cruz, hey, you lost to one of the bantam, best bantamweights of all time. But I'll tell you, you know, Marab's a much tougher fight than, than Dominic Cruz. So he's somebody that nobody wants to fight. So you got to give credit to, to Marlon for taking that fight. He never should have should have taken that fight. I think that speaks to the to the mentality and, and, and you know the warrior nature and and the competitive spirit of of Marlon. And I think if he would have beat Marab, he should get all the credit in the world and more because that that would have been a truly impressive win. But you just feel bad for Marlon. I think that's th- at least three in a row he's dropped. Maybe. Okay, it's three in a row. So he's lost his last three fights, lost four of five. Cejudo, Sandhagen, Font, and Marab. He just fights the toughest guys in the division. And, you know, he's on a hell of a losing streak. So, you know, it's unfortunate. I don't I don't really think Marais has dropped off. Maybe a little bit, but you know, I don't think I don't think he's a bum. Like he's he's I think he's still really good. I think so, you know, you lose to Marab, you're probably going to get... Now, it's a, it's a stacked bantamweight division, so there really is no easy fight in the division. But if I I think if Marab fights Haulian Paiva, or if he fights Kyler Phillips, or if he, if he fights somebody lower than him, I think he's going to put a fucking whooping on people. I don't think he's done. He's not that old. He's 33. So I don't think he's done. He's just fighting tough guys. And, and you know, you, just, you, you feel bad because it's like, what do you have to do to win? I mean, you almost fucking killed a guy. You almost killed a guy, and you still lost. So, fucking shitty for for Marlon. Uh, moving on, uh, we had a unanimous decision victory for Dan Hooker over Nasrat Hackparast. Great performance from Dan Hooker. You know, really mixed in the the, the wrestling, really nice. Obviously, the the striking's impressive. I'm impressed that Nasrat didn't get finished. Uh, I'm impressed both of them actually got to the fight and and it happened you know with all that was going on with Nasrat trying to get into the country and his mom dying and Dan Hooker trying to you know overcome the uh you know authoritarian oceanic governments that uh you know he hails from um but you know impressive performance I am still perplexed by the matchup I have no fucking clue why we would take the number seven guy in the world and put him up against uh, an unranked guy so the, the matchup made no sense. I, I don't feel like I learned anything from this fight, which is unfortunate. We had a undeserving prospect who's like, a, he's a B-level prospect. He's not even an A-level, an elite prospect. And I'm not trying to bury on the guy or shit on the guy. I'm just trying to be real. You know, it's not like he's, he's not Patty Pimblett. He's not, he's not Conor McGregor on his way up. He's not Israel Adesanya on his way up where you would go, Hey, this is a massive jump to Dan Hooker, but I really think this kid's ready for it. I mean, wow, this guy's the ne- he's the future. No, he's just an interesting prospect, interesting prospect, talented guy who we should look out for in maybe a couple of years. So I don't feel like I learned anything. Of course, Dan Hooker was going to win this fight. He's in the top seven, and Nasrat's unranked. So what happened is just what we thought would happen i mean you know what i mean i didn't if nasrat would have won i would have learned something like holy shit this kid's ready for the big time but like i don't know it's just kind of a waste of a matchup i mean if you want to be active and make money fucking fair play but you know from a ranking standpoint from a scheduling standpoint it just didn't make any sense 
Uh, Dan Hooker scheduled to fight. Um, Islam Makachev in like a month and a half. Uh, maybe, fuck it, maybe even a month. Uh, that makes a lot more sense. That's going to be a very interesting fight, but that's for uh, another show. For another show. But shout out to Dan Hooker, absolute legend. Moving on, we had a round two knockout from Chris Dawkins on Shamil Abdurakimov. Breakout performance for Chris Dawkins, especially because of the UFC's broken ranking system, which is why the only rankings that matter are at NorthStarSports.media. They had Shamil at number seven. Dude hasn't fought or hasn't had a win since 2019. I don't think he's fought since 2019. And they had him ranked at number seven. That's fucking ridiculous. I think we had him at like 14 or something. But breakout performance you know he made Shamil look terrible and, and Shamil's an awkward weird fighter it's hard to look good against him not impossible to finish him but it's hard to look good against him and he knocked him out twice you know he, he was slobbering like a, a pit bull and uh you know not any of the 25 Brazilian fighters who have fought in the UFC who go by the nickname Pitbull, but an actual Pitbull. and you know looked really good he's, he's got he's got crazy speed might be might be right up there for the fastest heavyweights i mean gone's pretty quick uh Ngannou is pretty quick but you know chris Dock is pretty fucking quick and he's getting more and more in shape so you know he's scheduled to fight Derek lewis so they're doing a quick turnaround with him or, or actually a, a quick turnaround with scheduling but i believe it's supposed to be in in december so that's brilliant and if you beat Derek lewis I mean, you're right on the doorstep of a title. So, you know, heavyweight heavyweight's very interesting. I don't normally like heavyweight. It's, heavyweight is traditionally full of fat slobs with no chin, no cardio, no wrestling, and the only thing they have is power. But today's heavyweight division, we have some real athletes in there. Chris Dawkins is a real athlete. He's not some obese guy just you know swinging you know there's a lot of technique there's a lot of skill there's cardio there's so many you know redeeming qualities to his game you know look at Cyril Gan. that's a next level heavyweight look at Nganu you know absolute athlete uh um fucking that English guy why am I blanking on his Tom Aspinall you know what I mean that's an in-shape guy who happens to weigh you know 245 pounds so you know we're, we're starting to get real athletes so you know, the Shamil Abdurakimovs, the Derek Lewis's, the um, Walt Harris's of the division are not going to be, they're not going to be here in a couple of years. You know what I mean? They're going to get phased out because it's not enough in today's heavyweight division to, to just be a fatso who can, who can swing a punch. You know, you, you really have to be a, a, a mixed martial artist. You really have to have cardio. And these guys are going to get flushed out, you know. It's, an, it's new times in the heavyweight division. Moving on, we had a unanimous decision victory for Talia Santos over Roxanne Mataferi. Don't care. Moving on, we had a first-round submission for Jalen Turner over Urosh Medic. Great performance by uh, Jalen Turner. You know, I'm a fan of, of uh, Medic. You know, I, I thought uh, he was he was going to beat Jalen Turner, but, you know, he, he's an awkward striker. And, you know, he's six foot three. He's He's got good reach, but I didn't I didn't think it would matter as much against Medich because Medich is a big, uh, you know, big lightweight. He's not he's not, uh, you know, five foot six, you know, where 
if you were Jalen Turner's size, that would be, you know, such a crazy advantage. Um, but, you know, he hurt him and, and he choked him out. You know, I don't, you know, people made a, a, a big deal about Jalen Turner being better on the ground. And maybe he is, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he's like crazy good on the ground. I just think his striking so good on his feet that he could beat somebody up and then finish the fight on the ground. You know, if he comes out and just submits somebody right away and it wasn't set up directly by his striking, then I think that's a discussion we can have. But I think his striking so good in his last couple of fights that he can, you know, just finish a fight with, with a choke. But, you know, he's getting better he's somebody to watch out for his record's not stellar but he's young he's growing up in the ufc which is hard to do uh and you know that's that's somebody to watch out for and somebody who i don't doubt he probably cuts a lot of weight but he seems like a real skinny fucker uh which is good because like you'll have like james vick was also six foot three and also fought at lightweight but James Vick was not a lightweight. He was a really big guy who just was kind of weird-shaped. You know, I think Jalen Turner, I think he probably is, I don't want to say a natural 155-er, but, you know, he, he seems like a guy who probably should be fighting at 155. You know what I mean? If he's killing himself, then that's another, you know, talking point. But, you know, I think that's, he, he, stylistically, he's a, always going to be a weird matchup at, at lightweight. But I think he's actually somebody to watch out for as well. Moving on, we had a unanimous decision victory for Nick Maximov over Cody Brundage. Solid performance there from Maximov. I mean, two similar guys, two wrestlers going at it. You know, good performance. Not not, not, not the best in the world. Don't really have a whole lot to say on that one. Uh, moving on, we had a 15-second knockout from Matthew Semmelsberger over Martin Sano. Or Sano. Martin Sano? I heard it multiple ways on the broadcast. I mean, it's just Miguel Sano. Martin Sano, but I don't know. I don't know. People pronounce stuff weird, but either way, uh, terrible performance from Martin Sano. Never should have been in the UFC. Was only in the UFC because Nick Diaz probably said, I'm only going to fight if my guys can be on my card. And they brought in some bum from the streets who had, he'd never won. He had never won a fight in a major promotion. I don't think he'd fought in like five or six years and his last win came in like 2014 and this is what happens and Matthew Samuelsberger I don't think he's like some tremendous fighter I mean we'll wait and see like he's very young in his career but I'm not ready to I'm not ready to say he's a world beater just yet but you know so Matthew Samuel it's not like he came in against a ranked guy it's also not like he came in against a bum but it's like that yeah that's what happens when you put a legitimate fighter like Matthew Samuelsberger against some fucking circuit city employee like Martin Sano, yeah, that's what happens. You get knocked out in 15 seconds. An embarrassing performance. Embarrassing for the UFC that they would cave in to Nick Diaz's demands and put this guy on the card when he doesn't deserve to be there, when there's far more deserving people who should be in the UFC. And that's what happens. And not to mention, it's also dangerous as fuck. That's very dangerous. Like, what? Like... Martin Sano could have got really hurt. He, and maybe he did. I don't I mean, I don't know. I don't really care because, he, you know, he signed up for it. But, like, that's reckless. Like, we don't let, we don't let, you know, fucking 85-year-old great-grandpas fight in the UFC because it's dangerous. Like, why? That, that's almost the same equivalent here with Martin Sano. Like, 
It's just some civilian that you're putting in there. Like, that's reckless. That's very dangerous. You could get hurt. It's almost like there's a reason why we put two people who are somewhat at the same level against each other and, and try to hash things out. So, you know, just a, an embarrassing performance for Martin Sano. Never should have been there. Embarrassing all around. But a good highlight. A good highlight for Semmelsberger. I mean, that's always going to be on his highlight tape. And, uh... He's basically the welterweight version of Rumble Johnson or whatever, because he's the only other UFC fighter to have, like, outside of Rumble Johnson, to have two sub-30-second knockouts or something like that. Maybe sub-20-second knockouts. Either way, I mean, that's pretty fucking impressive. I mean, you know, things are a little bit different, you know, because Rumble was doing that. I think one of those sub-20-seconds was against, like, Glover Teixeira. I think he knocked him out in, like, 12 seconds. So, you know, the competition's a little bit different, but, you know, either way, very impressive. Uh, then we had a submission via a rear naked choke from Jonathan Pierce on Omar Morales. Don't care. So with that, we'll wrap it up here. Again, you could check out the rankings at northstarsports.media. In fact, you know, we'll go over them very quickly because I mentioned them, uh, but I, I didn't mention these specifics. So we had some changes in the heavyweight division. Obviously, Doc is winning. We moved him from eight to six. We moved Rosenstreich down from seven, or from six to seven, Tibura from seven to eight, and then we moved Shamil down from fourteen to fifteen. Tuivasa takes Shamil's spot. Again, kind of weird explaining this. If you want the visual, you know where to find it. We had no changes in the featherweight division. Volkanovski is obviously, you know, he obviously stays as the champ. I couldn't really move Ortega down because he beat Chan Sung Jung and Zabit is super inactive and Yair is super inactive and Cater's on a loss. So it's one of those it's one of those things where the rankings will change at some point. The fights do matter, but I just can't change it at the time cuz you know, it, it just makes sense. I don't think I don't think arbitrarily if you win or lose that you deserve to arbitrarily move up or down. You know, it has to actually make sense. You know, in the UFC, I guarantee you in in, in their rankings, I guarantee you they moved Brian Ortega down. But it's like, does it actually make sense, you know, with the dynamics of the rankings? It didn't make sense with the dynamics of the rankings, so they stay the same. Uh, Bantamweight, we had Marab moving from 13 to 6. So he jumps up uh, seven spots, you know, right on the the doorstep of the top five. Uh, For him to move up that many spots... Uh, starting, excuse me, starting at number six, we had to move Cody Garbrandt down a spot to seven. We had to move Frankie Edgar down a spot, Pedro Munoz down a spot, and Marais down a spot. So seven, six, seven, eight, nine, ten is Marab, Cody, Frankie, Pedro, Marlin. Dominic Cruz and Cody Stamen at 11 and 12 stay the same. We removed Jimmy, Rame- Jimmy Rivera from the rankings at 10 because uh, yeah, I guess he's no longer in the UFC. And then moving up one spot each from uh, 14 to 13 is Howleon Paiva, 15 to 14, Kyler Phillips, and then back into the rankings, taking the number 15 spot, uh, Marlon Chito Vera. Uh, we also had some changes in the flyweight division because of uh, Joey B retiring. So everybody below him moves up a spot. So, uh, Cara France, Royval, Bontarine, Schnell, Elliot, Dvorak, Mudarji, Albazi, Bruno Silva, Kopp, and Nicolau all move up a spot. Um, 
Slight changes in the women's flyweight division, so Talia Santos wins her fight against Roxanne Mataferi. She goes from 12 to 10, Mataferi from 10 to 11, Macy Barber from 11 to 12, and we had some changes in the pound for pound. So we still have John Jones at number one pound for pound, uh, Kamaru Usman still at number two, but Volkanovski, because of his win, goes from seven to three. And then we have Nganu, Blahovich, Adesanya, and Miocic moving down a spot each. So the top seven goes Jones, Usman, Volkanovski, Nganu, Blahovich, Adesanya, Miocic. So, you know, handful of changes there in the rankings. It was, it's always fun, you know, some of these fight nights where we might only have one or two changes, you know, it's a little, little drab, but, you know, pay-per-views, they're always cracking. So with that, We'll wrap it up here again. Follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. Follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. And check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Listen, <laughs> I'm going out like I came in. I'm the mailman. I always deliver, and I'm going to be delivering in the Twin Cities market for a long time, Reagan Hoover, man. You're going to get I sick of so. me. You're going to take me for granted. You're going to love me, but more importantly, you're going to hate me. But I'll always be around. I'll always be around. I'll never stop delivering. Bayless. Never stop delivering. <laughs>